Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me today, Obadiah Smith, Jr. You're absolutely correct, Jim. Glad to be back. So glad to have you with us, Obadiah, always. And, you know, Obadiah, you're a lot younger guy. You're a lot more <laughs> buff guy. You're a lot more cool guy than I ever could hope to be. But yes. I'm going to guess that you and your life journey, just like all of us, have probably yes. had some moments where you felt like you were left by the curb. Can you think of some time when maybe you felt wounded? Oh, yes, Jim. In the sixth grade, being the last one chosen, as we entered the playground, we would divide up in teams and there will be two team captains, and I will be the last one chosen to be on team. Ouch. Yes. What what are the teams playing? Uh, Kickball. Kickball. Okay, you're just taking me back in time, too, because I had that same journey. Okay. You know, playing kickball, you're in about sixth grade, and nobody wants me on their team. Yes. And these are the same guys that want me to help them with math in the classroom. Yes, when you're doing something great. But I'm out there on the field, I'm like invisible. Yes. And the last guy chosen. And I get it now looking back on it because I realize I didn't know how to play well. I wasn't an asset to the team and they knew that. I wasn't sure then. I know it now. But at the moment, yes. it's so wounding. Oh, very wounding. You want to be a part of the group and you're just left by the curb. You're just pushed aside. And you know, I'm asking this question, Obadiah, because we're going to start a series on Viewpoint today about being wounded. Because that's a universal part of the human experience. I don't care how successful you are, how many times you're chosen first for the kickball team. Yes. Somewhere in life, you've been wounded. And that is something the scripture understands and discusses too and illustrates for us. And as we start this new series, well, we're going to look at the story of Hagar in Genesis. Now, you know the name Hagar. Yes, Jim. And uh, this is a gal who lived back in an ancient time. And, you know, if you think about biblical characters. She's not one who gets a lot of airtime, but boy, her story speaks about being wounded and wounding others, and some of the dynamics of how God loves us still. So when we come back, Obadiah, let's dive in. We'll talk a little bit about Hagar, about what it means to be wounded, and what we can do with that in this messed up world. How can we move forward and feel loved? Stay with us. Obadiah, last year I had the privilege of meeting Anne Graham Lotz. Yes. And uh, many people know of her. She is the daughter of Billy Graham, and she is a powerful Bible teacher in her own right and also an author. And I was very, very impressed with the depth of her soul and the wonder of her faith. I mean, truly, she is thoughtful, she's deep, she's articulate. Somebody that I would say is just one of the most impressive people I've ever met. A golly woman. And... uh, So after we met and became acquainted some, she gave me a copy of a book she's written called Wounded, Wounded by God's People. And to my surprise, as I began reading the book, I heard her tell through her narrative about some times where she's been wounded in life. And when you look at Anne Graham Lotz and you you understand her lifetime growing up as the daughter of Billy Graham and all the things she's experienced in this world, it's hard to imagine that she might go to a church somewhere where people would push her to the side. Yes. But she's had that journey, she and her husband both. Or that she would have moments wondering about how people who profess to love God could say things that are so hurtful because she's experienced it on a world stage. And when you're up front... That often happens. All this to say, the book really grabbed my attention because right from the get-go, it was personal, it was straight up, and it told us a story of real life in her own terms. Well, as I dived into the book farther, she makes the case that Jesus understands woundedness. Yes. 
And I think we can understand that. You know about the cross. We understand Jesus was crucified and he was murdered, really, for no cause, except he succeeded at what he did. But listen to this. This is just a list of some of the things that Jesus experienced in this world. How several different scriptures talk about how people wounded him. And notice this. The people who are wounding him are not just bad guys who don't know God. Yes, <laughs> These you're right. are people who profess to be the guardians of God's <laughs> yes. word. Yes. All right. So here's what the scripture says. These are passages from the Gospels, Matthew mostly, but also some from Luke and Mark. Some of the teachers of the law said to themselves about Jesus, this fellow is blaspheming. In another place, the Pharisees said, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. I mean, they're actually looking at Jesus and saying, the guy is himself a devil. That's how he's doing all these things. In another place, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. I mean, that's pretty extreme opposition. In another place, then the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. They went out and laid plans to trap him with his own words. Imagine speaking to a crowd and knowing that someone out there is trying to take your words so they can be twisted, they can be truncated, they can be edited in a way that will deliver a message that you did not intend so you could be accused. That was Jesus' ordinary life. All the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him. They led him away and handed him over to the Roman Pilate, the governor. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Those who had arrested Jesus spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. And on we could go. Yes. If anybody knows what it's like to be wounded, Jesus does. And particularly from his own culture, his own people, and those whom you would believe that he would have trust in because of his purpose. They came after him, Jim. He came into the world, and the world was made by him, the scripture tells us, and the world knew him not. Yes. He came unto his own, his own people, and his own people received him not. And this is part of the sobering reality. And if that's true for Jesus, it's true for us too. And I'm just giving this bit of setup that helps us understand that being wounded does not mean that you deserved it or that you somehow fumbled the ball yourself and should be yourself beat up for it. No, no. Sometimes you can be wounded and be innocent. That was certainly the story with Jesus. At other times, we may be wounded because we ourselves have, by our own poor choices, our own folly, set ourselves up to be punched or bruised. Yes. But however it is, if you're wounded, what do you do with it? How do you go forward? If ever... Anybody who walked this earth had a right to complain and say, that's not fair, that's unjust, it was Jesus. Amen. If anybody had a right to say, whoa, whoa, back off, it was Jesus. But Jesus trusted himself to God. And in a way, he stood in very elegant witness to the rightness of his own position by the way in which he managed his woundedness and consequently... He's changed life for all of us ever since. 20 centuries on, we're still learning from him. So that brings us to Hagar. Yes, Jim. You know what, Obadiah, let's just take the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. This is a gal who was wounded and wounded others. And we're going to today look at the 16th chapter of Genesis. And let's just walk through the story before we draw some lessons from it, through the lens of Christ and through the lens we pray of the Holy Spirit. This is Genesis chapter 16. It's the word of God. I'll take the first part, Obadiah, and then you join in at the last. Yes. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. 
Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, and we know them usually as Abraham and Sarah. Their names were changed by God later in their lives. But at this stage, they're still going by their original birth names, which are Sarai and Abram. Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for her husband. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, let's just pause here. This sounds pretty over the top, but in the yes. ancient world, this was kind of the custom that a servant could actually be a kind of surrogate mother. And so what Sarah is trying to do is solve the problem she does not herself have children by assigning her servant to be the surrogate mother. By surrogate mother, though, we're not talking about a scientific process as we do these days of artificial insemination. We're talking about her husband actually sleeping with their servant, to produce a child. But in the context of the ancient legal frame, that child would be seen as Sarah's child. Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And this is to say, Sarai gave her husband, this young girl, as a sexual partner. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, that's God. I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel of the Lord also said, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of your distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untame as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named the well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. As you've just heard this passage from Genesis read, as you're listening to our broadcast today, you may have a question to ask or maybe a comment to share. And we want you to know we are always glad to hear from you. Just dial this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're right by the phone waiting for you to call. This is the number toll-free, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. Pick up the phone. Let us hear from you this week. 
Obadiah, as we've read this story from Genesis chapter 16 about Hagar, yes. it's, it's just mind-bending in a way. The interaction of people in that ancient world, and it seems so far removed from our present day, and yet, as I think about it, honestly, it's very much like our day today, because people still have these kind of tortured relationships. People are still trying to figure things out and make their own way. They're trying to do it in ways that God would not ordain, but they're trying to fix problems on their own yes. terms. Their and, brokenness, yes. And what's happened back then is really happening still today, even though we might have different words to describe it. But let's talk first about Hagar. This is a gal who first appears in the scripture as an Egyptian servant, and it's likely that she was a gift from the Egyptian pharaoh to Abram when he was a visitor in Egypt in some days before this story takes place. And we don't know this for certain, but all the evidence suggests this. And what that tells us is that Hagar is someone who has always kind of been on the periphery. She's always a person who's on the outside. Yes, Jim. If you're born a slave or if you're born in some kind of servant class and you never have any options to go forward, you're not in control of your own life, other people make decisions about where you'll live, where you'll work, how you'll work, who you'll be, who you will serve. I mean, in a life like that, you're vulnerable. Yes, a lost identity, no identity at all, Jim. And no value. Yes. Probably thinks, what value do I have? Maybe she accepted her role in life because she looked around the world and just accepted there are other people like me and there are other people who are above me in the social strata. She also surely understood as she was transferred from an Egyptian house to Abram's house that Abram was a different kind of a guy because he was not like the pagan world in which he lived. The way in which he reproved the Canaanites who had some really awful pagan practices and there in the Canaan land at the time of this story taking place. She surely saw that. She probably recognized that Abram worshipped a god differently than the Egyptian master she once knew. Not God made with human hands, but a, a spirit being. She saw Abram care for his nephew Lot and his bravery and his courage in defending people in his family and others who were innocent in a pretty rough and tumble world. I mean, maybe she learned to trust Abram, even though she saw herself as a slave. Maybe she thought, well, this guy at least has a heart in a way that the people I've known before. We can't know. I'm reading between the lines, but yes. I'm just imagining that Hagar is a person who has a heart and a mind and a future, but it's all been kind of smashed down by the circumstances of her world. And maybe, just maybe, she found in Abram's house maybe a chance to shine a little bit. Yes. Well, and then there comes Abram's wife, okay, Sarai. <laughs> yes. Now, Sarai and Abraham want to have kids, and they don't have any, and God's promised them that they should have some, but somehow it's not working. And so Sarai decides to give Hagar to her husband as a sexual partner on the idea that maybe she'll conceive a child that Sarah can claim. And in fact, that's what does happen. You have to wonder how Hagar experienced that. I mean, did she see that as, whoa, I'm not... I'm not going to be used as some kind of like just vehicle for you to have a child. Maybe she felt that way. Yes. And particularly with having no identity, being thrust in a different culture, then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you find me useful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And useful for what? Yes. <laughs> to be a sexual plaything yes. and also to <laughs> conceive a child. I mean, she may have had some real aversion to that. But on the other hand, she may have also in her own small world have thought, oh, I'm getting a special favor here. <laughs> because you know what? Nobody else in this house, yes. nobody else in this camp is seen to be worthy or able to give the big guy yes. a child. 
and they're looking at me to do that, maybe she saw it as a mark of honor. We just don't know. It's hard to know in this ancient world how she might interpret these events. But this mix of emotions, this kind of maybe I'm being used, at the same time maybe I'm being favored, probably is a toxic cauldron that caused her now to start wounding others because she's been used, she's been wounded, she's been handed off from the Egyptians to the Hebrews. She's had all of this stuff beyond her control. Now she's the one who's going to sleep with the master, and now she's the one who's going to conceive a child, and now she starts to stick it in the eye of Sarah, yes, Abram's wife. And what that tells us is that when we're wounded, we have to be very careful because when you're wounded, it's easy to wound back. There's something about striking back and causing other people to suffer in the way you have that is part of the sad condition of human nature. You know, I've heard some law enforcement friends I have talk about this. Yes. That sometimes police officers and police and law enforcement are much in the news these days about how they interact uh, with the public. And I've had some good friends who are themselves policemen say that if a policeman has had some wounding experience in his professional life, and it's a dangerous job, let's just say it. I mean, you could have somebody try and take your life or punch you out or, I mean, threaten you. And when you have that experience, if you're not careful, the next day when you're the guy who's in command of the scenario, you can try and go over and beyond the line in your response to a crisis. And that it's part of the same principle. If you've been wounded, you better be really on top of it because you can naturally then express woundedness, just as you've described, especially powerless. And then you have some power, ouch. Yes. And that's what happens here. Yes. But then how does Sarai react? Okay. She's going to punch back. <laughs> she is. She's... You're, you're hurting me. I'm going to hurt, <laughs> hurt you, you back. Yes. That's right. And so she and, and Hagar are into it then. And Abram, who is a towering figure in the scripture and someone described as the friend of God and a man deeply loved by God, I mean, these are not part of his best moments because now as these two women who are central to his life are in a dispute, what does he say? Not my problem. You take care of it, he says to his wife. And so then she turns up the heat more on Hagar until at last Hagar runs away. This whole story is so dark and so messed up so far, but now... Now the page turns. Yes, it does, Jim. And it's amazing how it turns, that even in your desert moment place, you can find the reality of God. Oh, draw me, Lord. Oh, draw me, Lord. Oh, draw me, Lord. And I'll run after you. Draw
Hagar has been in a dispute with the woman who is her employer, her mistress, so to speak, Sarai, wife of Abram. And uh, Hagar has been used, and she has also been in a way favored, and she has been wounded, and she has been wounding. And now she finds herself just running away. She can't take it anymore. So she runs away to the wilderness. But while she's out there, sad, broken, herself taken advantage of, but at the same time, she has not always carried herself well either and is trying to take advantage of others. For all of that that is in her mix, God sees her. Yes. And God intervenes with an angel saying, where are you going? (laughs) What are you doing? And how could this young woman find her way in the wilderness? Where would she be going? I mean, she's just running away. She doesn't really have a destination except anywhere but where I came from. She's lost. That's not really a plan. And the Lord calls out to her and says, you know what? I see you where you are, and I have a plan for your life, and you're going to have a child. Yes. And that child is going to be great. He's going to be wild. He's going to have a lot of conflict, but I'm telling you. You will bear a son who is going to help populate the world, and he is going to have huge impacts. You're going to name Ishmael. What happens here is God reassures Hagar that she is not invisible to heaven. She is not forgotten by her maker. That no matter who you are, no matter how messed up your life, no matter how many twists and turns that you did not choose for yourself, and no matter how many times other people have intervened to hurt you, God knows you. Yes, Jim. Knows exactly who you are, where you are, and he also knows what you can be. And so he says to Hagar, he's going to give her some advice. I have a plan for you, but for that to come to pass, here's what I need you to do. Don't run away from your problem, but what? Go back. (laughs) Go back. Stare it down. Yes. Face up to it. Great advice in life. You can never run away from your problem. Sometimes we have to walk away from hurtful situations that have been very unhealthy, but it's a different thing to walk away than it is to run away. And like Hagar, maybe you felt like you've been left by the curb. Maybe you don't have any value. Maybe you're the outsider. Maybe it's because of a divorce. Maybe it's because you lost your job. Maybe it's because you had a group of friends that you thought you once could count on, and now they've abandoned you for whatever reason. Maybe you don't even know why. Maybe you've been assigned to live in a new place. You're Your employment or your family has taken you to a new neighborhood or a new community or a new town, and you just know you're the foreigner there. You're the outsider. Everyone else knows each other, but you can't break in. Whatever it is, don't attempt to just run away from it. You have to face it. After you face it, you may walk away from it, but don't run away from it. You have to come to terms and understand who you are and be secure in who you are so that God's plan can unfold for you. And that's Hagar's story. And that's our lesson to us today from Genesis chapter 16. Notice in the passage you read there, Obadiah, that she named the well where the Lord met her. Yes, Jim. On the road to nowhere. It's the well... Of the living one who sees me. Who sees me. God sees her. Think about that. (laughs) God sees me. Yes. And as you're listening today, we want you to know God sees you. He sees exactly who you are and where you are, and don't be afraid. And as you stop for a moment and allow him to speak into your life, know this, you can trust him. You may not be able to trust anybody else, but you can trust him. And he will impress you with the way to go next, how to go forward. Even though you be deeply wounded, know this, he will help bring healing. Pray with us today and join us on the journey. All of us have been hurt. How do we move forward? Pray. 
Our Father, we're so thankful today for the story of your son, Jesus, who, though he was despised and rejected, still did not hurt back, but only loved. We're so thankful for his witness and his way. We're thankful for the story of Hagar, broken as she was, hurting as she was, and as hurtful as she had become. You still loved her and knew her and saw her and and intervened so that she might find a better way. And I thank you for everyone listening today because all of us understand these things. All of us have been bruised at some point in life. And Lord, even as we're bruised and hurt, help us not to respond in kind, but to trust you. Lord, thank you for seeing us. And for everyone who joins us in this prayer today, I ask that you will speak into their lives, into their circumstances, into the deepest reach of their hearts. And may we, each one, surrender into your will and way through the name and the work of your son, Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Once more, if you have a question, you have a comment, you'd like to know more about this God who sees you, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We are by the phone. And Obadiah, if someone wanted to go online and find us instead of dialing up the phone, what's our web address? cbhviewpoint.org, Jim. CBH, the letters represent Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's who we are, viewpoint.org. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Use the post if you prefer. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call, go online, or send us a letter, let us hear from you. Obadiah, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be back, Jim, again. Hey, and you know what? All those guys who didn't choose you for the kickball team, they're sorry now. <laughs> oh, they are now. <laughs> of course they are. And we thank you for joining us today. We hope you'll be with us again next week as we here at Viewpoint continue to explore what it means to be wounded and how we can find healing. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.